I assume it was Snapchat. Maybe I'm definitely not with the kids. I mean, no. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what, though. You got a visit weird. from the Welsh Spider Man, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. We don't get that sort of immersive cinema over here in the border in England. We are. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Dad and Joe Film Show. We're, we're reaching 50, everybody. Hope you are staying safe and well. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime. Some people say he is the Michael Myers of podcasting because he kills it every time. Please welcome <laughs> Joe Richard. <laughs> Thank you. That's very complimentary. But I thought you were going to go for like the Venom symbiotic oh. sort of thing. You know how we're sort of one in the same Got a little oh. bit of a bromance going on. Oh, I, I missed out there. It's, it's, it's not never good enough for you, is it, Joe? Never it, good it, enough. It really it isn't. No, it, it, <laughs> in, in truth, it really isn't. I should start writing the introductions. Oh. I think, but... <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. As, as, as yeah. if they're written in the first place. Maybe get a bit of revenge for all the times you've called me like Frankenstein and various other really horrible names oh i'm so sorry but you know as well as our 50th episode is approaching i'm not going to give anything away but we are going to take a trip down memory lane look at all those intros i've given you over the last 18 months because yeah there have been some lovely ones joe they've not you know they've been some not nice ones as well and i apologize for that <laughs> so basically you want a montage of just <laughs> you being brutal to me what was the first ever one a b-tech john ham that one stung, and that 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 that's that stayed with me for for a long time. I've got to say, but it's John Ham, you know. Like I would that be a B Tech John Ham. I know. do love John Ham. Yeah, true. But how have you been, mate? Obviously, we're fast approaching Halloween. We've got a Halloween special coming up. But how have you been? I've been okay. I've got a nasty cough. Obviously, mm. I think we're all at that stage now where like it's just coughing permanently and it's like is it is it the the c word or is it you know something else <laughs> and just being like grateful for like having a cold another thought i'd be like grateful for just feeling like awful from like a stomach <laughs> bug or like a or a cough or something but we we are in those crazy times but yeah all good obviously i'm in the middle of moving home at the moment so there's a lot of juggling going on trying to paint and arrange carpets and arrange all sorts whilst obviously trying to keep on top of the latest releases so I've seen as many as I can although last week was crazy busy I've still not seen the last duel and I've not seen Ron's gone wrong and um, I've heard great things about both from various people so it, it's driving me a bit crazy you know sort of <laughs> being like away being torn away from oh, there and, and kind of going hate- back and forth you hate it, don't you? You just like, you have like anxiety, don't you? You c- Cinema anxiety, you're like, I want to watch it. Yeah, more. it's like the completest in me, isn't it? You know, we both have our lists of like the films we've watched through mm. the year and like, you know, the ratings and everything like that. Letterboxd is superb for that. But it's that completest thing, isn't it? And especially at this time of the year, because you think, well, if I miss it in the cinema, chances are I'm not going to see it before the year end. So I'm sort of in the middle at the moment trying to move back. And it's very exciting about the house. I'm very excited about it, it must be said, especially, uh, you know, Hannah's listening. But yeah, it's just that constant juggling act. But how have you been? How's work been with you? 
It's been good, yes. Everything's good in the school at the minute. Um, Got to wear your maskies everywhere, which is lovely. Yeah, don't have lunch and then put your mask on straight away while kind of you're munching. It doesn't work well. Um, I've tried that today. People are like, oh, Stuart, what? And I was like, I can't, I can't. So yeah, um, it's all going well in school. Nearly half term. Woohoo! Oh, yes. All my teachers out there um, are rejoicing. It's been a long, long term. um, And we're only a long, A long three weeks. A long three weeks. Oh, oh this God guy. bless you. Oh, I'd love, uh, I'd love to had, see I've you. I've had six weeks off. Six weeks off, and now I've got to work for three weeks, and then I can have a week off. I would pay money to see you teach in a class. I would actually really enjoy it. I think you'd be quite good. They'd look, you'd be down with the kids, wouldn't you? You'd be like, hey, I my would G. Be. <laughs> I would be. 100% I would be. I, I know all there is to know. Dem, Demi Lovato. <laughs> Whatever here, she's hey kids, popular, isn't she? And if you like the killers, <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone Maybe likes fair enough. Yeah. Well, good to see you, and thank you as, as well for joining. I couldn't do this without you. It couldn't be called the Dan Show. I've tried that already. It doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but we've got a very special guest on today's show. We've wanted this guy for a very, very long time. He's a massive super fan of uh, one of this week's original films, and we've wanted him on for a very long time. He works for Yahoo Entertainment, Metro UK. Uh, you can find him on social media at Tom J Beasley, and he's just come back from the London Film Festival. So uh, can't wait to hear all about that. But please welcome to the show Tom Beasley. Hello, Tom. Hello. Great to be here. You've you've done all of my plugs for me, which uh, <laughs> sort of leaves me without anything to say. No, as you said, yeah, I've come back from the London Film Festival. You've got about 50% of me because I'm nursing a horrible cold. The worst cold I've had in about two years. Oh. Surrounded constantly by stacks of lateral flow tests trying to prove it's not that. <laughs> um but yes, I'm very happy to be here, particularly in a week where, as you alluded, there is a Venom movie on the docket. Yes, London Film Festival was was a delight. I've been doing that for about four or five weeks, so at least half a term. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's been, I bet it's been hard work, you know? <laughs> it, it, you know what? It is, because it's all, it's in order to, people who have gone to LFF as press will know this, but the the queuing system is ludicrous. So in order to see one of the big films, I often had to be in a queue outside the view Leicester Square at around 6.30 in the morning, which after seven or eight consecutive days of doing that kind of wears you down. But yes, it's been fun. I've seen a lot of stuff. As you said, last week's release schedule was utterly crazy. And so while I'm fortunate enough to have seen a lot of stuff, I haven't seen The Last Jewel, which I'm very excited about. And what appears to have happened is that because James Bond is still out and because Venom is now out, you can only see The Last Jewel once a day at most cinemas. And so I don't know how I'm going to fit it in, but I would very much like to. But yes, the London Film Festival has been a joy. It means that I have seen Ron's Gone Wrong and you would like it. It's fantastic. Great. But yes, I've also seen weird things like the French film Titan, which they've yes. just submitted as their Oscar contender for Best International Film. Right. And okay. um, it's uh, quite wonderful. It's the same director who did the film uh, Raw a few years ago. And yes, yeah. Titan is wonderful. It was the best film I saw at the festival. You are not prepared for how mental it is. And, yeah, and you will have a great time. I was going to ask what your favourite film of the festival was. And I'm so glad you said it because Raw, I think, was at least 
It's one of the first films we ever reviewed um, back on the radio, Dan. And I think it was my favourite film of that year. And I'm so excited for this. Here in Cardiff, there was a screening, and this is this is where the house stuff gets a bit annoying, to be honest. There was a, a London LFF screening at one of our sort of independent cinemas here in Cardiff on Saturday, which I couldn't get to, which was very frustrating because it, it's got such a... December 31st release date I'm like that's such a awful release date for for this for this kind of film so and I have to wait now until January and then it's like that whole thing of do I count it as a 2021 release a 2022 oh. release it causes oh. so many difficulties problems. difficulties <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> but I'm glad you loved it I'm glad you loved it so it's so it's even more insane than raw Is I would right? say so what's kind of fascinating is that if you've read anything about it, all of that stuff is like front loaded in the first like half an hour. So the first half an hour is pretty much as bananas as a film can get. And then it changes into something weird and tender and sensitive. And that was just as enjoyable. I thought it was really fantastic. I hope people like it. I think they will. Ooh, an exclusive everybody. Wow, brilliant. Um, and yeah, I, I bet it has been tough with London Film Festival. There's you know, a lot of films to watch, a lot of early morning starts, a lot of late nights as well. But hopefully, Joe, we can go one day. I'd love to go. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what's great is, and I wish I'd realised this sooner, is obviously this year, Chapter, big shout out to Chapter and Claire Vaughan, who's been on the show before. They did a number of screenings for a whole week in the evenings. They didn't have probably as much, uh, but they did, for example, Last Night in Soho, The French Dispatch, all, all the sort of big ones. They they did a at least one screening of a day. So hopefully that will continue because, you know, it is a constant uh, conversation that we tend to have as a film community of, you know, films being more accessible to press and people outside of London. So, you know, even if we can't get to London, fingers crossed, we will get to experience it uh, at some point, you know, over the next year or so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and again, you know, exciting, exciting show. We've got lots of films to talk about. Maybe not London Film Festival standard, maybe not Tatane, but um, there's still <laughs> a lot, lots of really good films out this week. First of which is a Halloween-themed film. It's Halloween Kills. This is directed by David Gordon Green, who directed the last Halloween film, which is kind of like a sequel to the original. Um, This time around, uh, it takes place directly after the end of the first film, where we saw kind of Michael Myers being burnt alive in the the house. Jamie Lee Curtis has returned, as crazy as ever, playing Laurie Strode. Uh, She's there with her daughter, Karen, played by Judy Greer, and Andy Machak. Uh, uh, who plays Alison in the film. They escape the burning fire, but Michael Myers certainly is not dead. Here's a clip. Hey, what are you guys doing out here? It's Halloween. We've been trick-or-treating. We got a whole bag of You guys should not be out here right now, okay? It's not safe. (laughs) You're gonna kill me? (laughs) Satan, not today. Oh, I'm so scared. Are you guys alone? Where are your parents? No. No, we're waiting for our friend. And, like, there's a creepy man in a white mask, and he keeps, like, trying to play hide-and-seek with us, and he's... He's (laughs) Where did you see him? He's just hiding behind trees. And he pops out like, peekaboo! I mean, we're not three years old. Come on, man! Oh, look, there he is! Oh, hello! Hello! Is that Dennis's mask? Run! Go home now! Before he kills us all, get out of here! Run! Do not turn around! Keep going home! And 
that was a clip there from Halloween Kills. Joe, let's go to you first. We are both big, big fans of the uh, other Halloween film that came out a couple of years ago. I remember going to see it with you. And we went quite late, didn't we, on like a Friday night. And we didn't realise it was subtitled, which is fine. <laughs> I remember it came up and I was like, oh, but um, yeah, both loved the last one, didn't we? But what did you think of this one? Yeah. I was very disappointed by, by this one, I have to say. And like you said, I... I mean, I've got no love for the franchise. I've watched me. I haven't watched all of them. I think I've watched one, two, and then like H2O. And like that, that's about it. So I don't have a great love for the franchise. I'm, I'm not like uber passionate about the Halloween franchise. Although I did, as you said, really, really enjoy the last one. As you said, it was like a great experience because I think I saw it twice. I think I saw it with you and then maybe saw it with somebody else. Both packed out screenings. In all honesty, the last Halloween, I know it sounds strange, but it had one of my probably most favourite moments in cinema in recent years. And I won't spoil it, but basically there's a moment with Judy Greer towards the end in the house, walking up the steps. And both times I saw that film, the crowd just went crazy for it. I just thought it was such a cool moment, such a cool line. And I remember Edgar Wright tweeted like a few months ago or maybe last year or something saying about, you know, those iconic like film lines, you know, like in Jaws, you know, that, that final kind of moment before the, the trigger is pulled. And I thought that that was definitely one of the few films in recent years which did a great job of putting a very memorable ending to, to an otherwise, you know, good film, but, but nothing special. This time around, from the get-go, I just, I, you know me, Dan, as soon as, like, a film starts and then it's, like, a flashback and, you know, I'm, I'm already a bit like, mm, am I going to enjoy this? And immediately the film to me just seemed a bit off in terms of the pace. And it starts off, we have a flashback starring Jim Cummins, which was a really nice surprise, who I'm a big fan of, Thunder Road uh, fame, uh, which is, again, one of my favourite films of recent years. But not even he could save that flashback. Then we come back to the present day and then there's this scene with uh, people in a bar and they're talking about Michael Myers and they bring back these characters who fans of the franchise will probably watch that moment to go, oh, great, it's that person from, you know, the original film. For me, it was an obscure reference. So it's not the filmmaker's fault. It's probably my fault in that instance because I was just like, I couldn't get excited about it because I didn't really understand the references or or care about them and all the while I'm sat there and I'm thinking where is Jamie Lee Curtis where is Laurie Strode for me that is Halloween as much as Michael Myers is Halloween Laurie Strode is Halloween you know it's like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty you know they're sort of the yin and the yang they they kind of even you know each other out and where is she she's basically in a car on the way to the hospital where she spends the whole film sat on the sidelines and I thought one of the great things about the last film was that you had that real sort of girl power to it you know I I loved the stuff between the three generations of women who come together they've got their problems for their family and they come together to face this evil and I thought that element of the first film was just missing completely from this and I really really thought it suffered as a result Jamie Lee doesn't get to do a lot Judy Greer gets to do a little bit towards the end. The kills are good. It is brutal. 
it is gory. And when Michael Myers is on screen and doing his thing, that stuff is effective. But it does feel like the writers have gotten together and gone, these are really cool kills. This is a good concept for a murder. And this would be really cool on screen. And then forgotten to maybe focus on the stuff around it enough and bring it all together. So I thought it was a bit of a mess. It's not like the worst film I've seen by any means, but I thought it was a mess. And I thought considering the last one did such a great job of like rebooting the franchise, uh, I, I, I was very disappointed. But then it is a second part or, you know, of this particular trilogy. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the third one. Maybe there'll be some sort of redemption gained in the payoff, but that yeah. remains to be seen as of yet. So at the moment, very disappointed, but let's hold out hope for the next. I agree with you there because I didn't feel like the last film needed a sequel, let alone a trilogy. It's that horrible case in it where it's the middle film. It can't go too far. It can't be too risky. It can't shock you too much because it needs to leave so much until the final film. And I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, there are so many elements where I just I just thought, well, okay, well, you know, th this could be developed further or they could be using this. And I guess they didn't use Laurie Strode as much because they wanted the showdown in the next film, you know? Um, but in that case, it's like, why even have this film in the first place, you know? Yeah. Um, but Tom, what did you think of Halloween Kills? I felt very similarly about it to how I felt about the previous one, which is that I thought it was good but ultimately kind of disposable. I love the first Halloween. I have a soft spot, in fact, for Halloween 2 as well, to which this does kind of pay a few a few references. Um, and even Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, when they made their misguided decision to say, well, let's not do it with Michael Myers, let's do something mad. And it is mad and it's kind of fun, but I can see why they went back to Michael Myers. I agree with a lot of what you said, Joe. I think the fact that Laurie Strode sits on the bench for so much of this film is a real drawback because that's what you come to a Halloween film for is, is Laurie versus Michael. And the thing is that third film is such an elephant in the room. The core conceit of any slasher movie is, you know, as Carol Clover wrote in Men, Women and Chainsaws decades ago, it's the slasher versus the final girl. And you have to believe that the final girl will get one over on the slasher villain and will kill them. Whether they then come back for a sequel is a different matter, but they have to get one over on the slasher villain. In a middle installment, you can't do that. You can't kill the slasher villain at the end because we know there's going to be another movie. So that is a hurdle that the film can never quite get past. With that said, if you're coming to a Halloween movie for slashy gory bloody spurty kills which you probably are because it's a halloween movie you absolutely get that and i think they're very inventive they're well directed they're crunchy and they're violent and they're bloody and all of that stuff's good i think some of the performances are really nice i think anthony michael hall does a really fun job as kind of the de facto leader of the the haddonfield people who kind of form a mob to go after michael and really he's almost the, the jamie lee curtis of this film in a lot of ways because she's kind of in, as you said, on the way to the hospital at the start and spends most of the movie there. So it's interesting to see someone else take centre stage. And I think Anthony Michael Hall does a good job. But at the same time, I think it does run out of steam. I think it really suffers from being a middle instalment. Yeah. Uh, what I will say is I loved those flashbacks at the start. Absolutely wonderful to be transported back. In fact, as I was watching it, 
I found myself asking whether I'd forgotten scenes from the original film. They were they were done that well, especially because we get scenes with Loomis. And of course, Donald Pleasance is no longer with us. So I found those scenes particularly impressive. Um, as it turns out, they were fortunate enough to have a production designer who looks a lot like Donald Pleasance. Um, <laughs> and with the application of a little bit of clever makeup and a, an impressionist doing the voice, they managed to do a pretty good approximation of Loomis. I think most of the shots he's seen kind of from the top of the stairs looking down. And so, but there's enough kind of plausible deniability there that you find yourself yeah, going. <laughs> it's really cool that they've got some, some scenes with Loomis. So I loved all the, the 1978 stuff. And it's clear that David Gordon Green as a director just loves this franchise. That's really obvious. So that comes through really nicely. It does all just feel like an appetizer though for the next film. And I think that's a problem especially given, you know, we've had to wait an extra year for this because of COVID. And it, incidentally, they said they have tweaked the plot of the next film to reflect the year we've had, which is intriguing, but kind of fills me with fear because mm. I've seen a lot of like pandemic movies recently and a lot yeah. of them are not good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I worry about that. But, you know, I think that if what you're coming for is just a Halloween movie, then you're going to have a great time with this. You'll get what you want. And at the end of the day, that's really all you can ask for. I'd like it to be a bit deeper. Like the stuff about mob mentality is really interesting, but doesn't quite go far enough. Yeah. And I wanted so much more Jamie Lee Curtis because she is the heart and soul of this. Yeah. But it's, it's fun enough. It does its job. And I think that's kind of the best you can hope for. Definitely, definitely. Well, uh, Halloween Kills is in cinemas now if you want a good scare and you'll have to wait till next year for Halloween Ends. Will it end? Probably not, but there we go. Okay, um, moving on now. And Tom is full of excitement now because we're going to be talking about Venom, Let There Be Carnage, the long-awaited sequel to Venom. Um, Tom's been counting down the days, I'm sure, like it's Christmas. <laughs> Only 472 days. <laughs> I have. All of these COVID delays have been torture, I tell you. Oh, God bless you. Um, well, Tom, seeing as you were such a big fan of the first film, do you want to just quickly give us a story of Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Uh, kind of a quick synopsis of it. Sure. So as we saw in the post-credit scene of the first Venom film, Cletus Cassidy, the serial killer played by Woody Harrelson, is in prison. And when we meet him again at the start of this film, he has sort of formed a bond of sorts with uh, Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock. He's allowing him to interview him. He's sort of using Eddie's columns to pass on messages. And then what happens is that uh, Eddie finds out where some of Cletus's other victims are buried. This leads, as we see in the trailers to uh, Cletus being uh, sentenced to death and through a series of contrivances becoming Carnage, another symbiote who promptly causes all sorts of havoc. I think that's kind of where we leave it plot-wise. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Tom, bravo. I think he's going to take, take my job. <laughs> Brilliant, Tom. Yeah, um, and here's a clip. This is about me wanting to live without you, whining in my ear all the time about eating bad guys or like nagging me about Anne or destroying my place or destroying my life. Do you know how lucky you are that I chose you? You chose me? Buddy, I'm the only person that took you in when your friends kicked you off the planet Ming Mong because you are a reject. You are a pariah. Need to protection my ass. You couldn't protect anything. You are useless. You can get a job down here cleaning toilets. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please let me fix it. How about it? So I can bring it again.
Okay, that was a clip there from Venom Let There Be Carnage. Well, Tom, considering you said it so beautifully, the story, and would you like to take it away? So um, tell us, it's been a long time coming, but what are your thoughts on Venom Let There Be Carnage? It's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously I come from a place of having really loved the first one. I remember sitting there in the cinema watching the first one. I wasn't able to get to a press screening when it came out. Um, so I went to see it with a friend uh, a week or so after it came out. And I was sat there and I remember vividly, we looked at each other at one point and went, wasn't this supposed to be terrible? <laughs> because we were both having such a kind of joyful time with it. Like, how can you dislike a movie where you get not one stupid Tom Hardy voice, but two? Like, I, I don't know what more people want from these movies. And this one really benefits from the fact that all of the kind of furniture of a superhero movie, all the origin stuff and the setting up of characters has been done already. And so it just gets into the thrust of it. And it's this sort of twisted love story between Venom and Eddie. You know, it's got all of the elements of a rom-com, essentially, which is an absolute delight. And on top of it, you've got Woody Harrelson doing this really theatrical performance of, uh, of Carnage. I think, as the kids say, he understood the assignment. I think that's the, <laughs> the, the meme we have to invoke there. But um, I, I found this movie such a joy. I don't think it's as strong as the first one, although I have now seen it twice. And I did like it even more the second time. So perhaps it's got room to grow, but I, I found myself really enjoying it. I think Tom Hardy gives it both barrels once again. I think the carnage stuff is, is really fun. Uh, I think they've got the, the tenor of the action sequences right. There'll be a lot of talk, as there always is with these films, about, oh, it should have been R-rated, whatever, whatever. But I think really they kind of pitch it right. I think if you go too nasty with the violence, you lose some of the charm and the silliness that is actually what makes the, the movie work. I know that all of the like 80s and 90s comic book people are like, well, Venom should be dark. He's the lethal protector, all of that sort of stuff. I, with the best will in the world, don't care. I'm happy for this sort of joyously romantic connection between these two characters to carry on. I did think the supporting characters were a bit left for nothing. You've got Naomi Harris playing Shriek, who has a connection to Cletus, and she's really underused. One of my favourite actors in the entire world, Stephen Graham, as, as a police officer. And he kind of gets a bit more to do, but still not enough. And so I thought those supporting characters were kind of left in the dust of the enormity of, of the, this love story. I've, I'll say it again, it is very much a love story. I did find myself, because a lot of people got very excited when Andy Serkis was announced as the director for this, because obviously people love him, rightly so. And I think they thought it might, you know, give it a bit more personality uh, in terms of direction. That is not the case. It does feel like a movie which is just directed by someone doesn't feel like recognizably an Andy Serkis movie but I think he knew what he was doing he knew how to get the story through it's only something like 95 minutes um, which is really delightful I thought it, it, it got in and out it, it, in the right way I thought it told its story in a really engaging way and I'm very excited to see Venom 3 when it inevitably happens <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm glad, yeah, I totally agree with you, Tom. I, I liked the first Venom film. Joe, we'll get to Joe in a bit. Uh, you're not going to be happy with him, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I liked the first Venom. I, I saw it in Super Screen uh, and I thought it was kind of decently made and a little bit formulaic, but I, I enjoyed it a lot, Tom. And like you, I was just really kind of surprised at kind of, it's a little bit darker than the other Marvel movies, which I think is really nice. And again, Tom Hardy for me was the strongest part of it. And it's really nice to see in this one that he, he has much more to do with his character. The flaws with this one are that I do feel like the story is a bit chaotic. 
It is a bit messy. The first 10 minutes go so quick. I turned to my girlfriend. I was like, what's just happened? Did I miss another film that they did like two or two years ago? Um, it, the first 10 minutes, it, they cover so much in such a short, short space of time. Um, you, what, you do slightly feel a bit like you've got a headache. But apart from the story, if you kind of just sit back, relax and just kind of go with it, it is so much fun. There are so many things it does better, I think, than the first Venom. Firstly, the relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock. Uh, again, that is kind of like rom-com. They're living together. You know, he's making breakfast for him. And I love the relationship between the two of them. I thought it was fantastic. Woody Harrelson is great uh, as Cletus Cassidy. Carnage. Uh, I felt like he had a good enough backstory. And the scenes between him and Tom Hardy were great. Very intense. Kind of had me on the edge of my seat a little bit. Uh, Michelle Williams doesn't do much for women, does she, in this scene, in this film? Not like in the last one, really. I feel like in the last film, she just came up in the last act and just pulled a lever or something or pressed a button and that was it that was kind of her contribution to the film and in this one as well she just doesn't get anything to do at all she is just basically the damsel in distress and um, which is fine but again it's like it's just a repeat that this last act is just kind of her cat captured and he's got to save her again I just wish that she had a bit more engaging subplot going on there um, Naomi Harris, I thought, was was good. I totally agree with you, Tom. I think there's just not enough for her to do. But for me, visually, this film is just so much more interesting. And I, I do agree. I think, you know, you've got someone like Andy Serkis, you know, Planet of the Apes, you know, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, you know, he comes from a very kind of um, filmmaking um, prowess background. I feel like he could have done a bit more here, but he does bring uh, that kind of spiciness to it. He does bring... Um, that kind of visual flair to the screen that the last one I feel like didn't really have. There's a lot more going on. And I think the actual creature design of Venom and Carnage for me was a lot more detailed. It, it looked a, a lot more kind of visually uh, impressive compared to the first film. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it kind of ticked all the boxes for me. It, it, it took the elements that I didn't quite like in the first film uh, and made it a lot better, which I think is kind of the job of sequel. It is very different to the first film. I don't know how you guys thought, but I, as I was watching, I was like, wow, this is very different tonally. Um, and in terms of the story, it's kind of, it is a little bit darker than the first film, which I did like a lot. And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's done so well in America. It's kind of grossed 90 million, isn't it, in, in its first weekend. And I'm so glad because, yeah, I, I just thought it was great. And uh, Bryn on Venom 3, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, if you do wait until the post-credit, you know, sequence, you kind of have an idea, which I was, I was kind of like, oh, really? Can we not, you know? So um, we'll see what happens. But Joe, what did you think? As you said, it is very different to the first film. <clears throat> and I appreciated it a lot more than the first film. I was someone who didn't get a lot of the fun that, you know, uh, you did, Tom and Dan, from, from the first film. I thought it, it, I, it just wasn't for me. I just didn't really enjoy it that much. I, I just thought it was a bit bland and just didn't particularly take to it. But this one... I thought was a vast improvement because as Tom rightly said, I love the angle that it takes. I love that it says, right, we're going to make this a romantic comedy or a bromantic comedy and, you know, really make it all about that symbiotic relationship between Eddie Brock and Venom and, and, and really just embrace the silliness of it and have a lot of fun with it. And this film is a hell of a lot of fun, I must say. When I went in, it was a packed crowd on a Saturday and I was dreading it. I just I just thought, oh, this crowd are going to be awful. They're going to be dreadful. And I was sat there. It was a full house. Literally at one point, a guy, Dan, he was walking on the seats and he was like, I'm Spider-Man. 
And this guy's like <laughs> in his twenties. Wow. And he, I turned around to like give him a, a, a an evil stare because you know you, I was there on my own. Yeah. I was like, oh, shut up! And like <laughs> I turned around, I couldn't believe he was literally walking on the seats on the like top three rows, being like, "I'm Spider Man." And I thought, oh, do you know what? This is going to be dreadful. It's going to be an awful experience. I'm not looking forward to it. But as soon as the lights went down and the film started, even the three, you know, teenage chatty girls in front who, who had to take a picture of the credit when it, you know, it started on the film for, for Snapchat. Oh, yeah. Even they were engaged and enjoyed it and everyone was well behaved. And I thought, you know what, that's a true sign of like a good film is that, you know, these people were fully engaged, fully into it. They laughed in all the right places. They were, you know, were silent in all the right places, you know, in the action scenes. So I, I thought it did a really, really great job of, of, of selling that central sort of theme of this romantic relationship between Eddie and Venom. Rightly so, it's 90 minutes as well. And like, if you bookend it, which I did between um, No Time to Die and Dune, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a very appreciative, like, like refreshing, like, wow, this is really breezy. I, I can't believe it's been 90 minutes. And I think that works as well. It doesn't overcomplicate things. It knows what it's doing. It's got a very straightforward, to the point plot. There aren't like an abundance of set pieces. There's probably like, two or three max and I think it works all the better for it so consider me a Venom convert I thought it was really enjoyable really entertaining I laughed I chuckled and I was fully prepared to go into this as well and not enjoy it but I did come out and I thought you know what that was a fun time at the cinema so consider me a Venom convert Oh, hooray. My prayers have been answered, everybody. Oh. I tell you what, though, you're not doing your down with the kids credentials any good by mentioning Snapchat. I think that's well out of date, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree, Tom. I, it's all about the all about the gram, isn't it? All about Insta. Uh, well, they, they were using something. I mean, I shouldn't. I was just like, literally, as soon as um, it went dark and then it came up with the title Venom, that there'd be carnage. All three of them, the phone lights just flashed and they were like taking the pictures. So I assume it was Snapchat. Maybe I'm definitely not with the kids. I mean, no. I tell you that. I tell you what, though, you got a visit weird. from the Welsh Spider Man, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that sort of immersive cinema over here in the border in England. We are. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah. I like to imagine them doing it with a really thick Valley's accent as well. I imagine that yeah. would have been amazing. Yeah, oh, go, go, go. he was. He, he was go, the go. worst Spider-Man ever because he wasn't even wearing a costume. He was wearing jeans <laughs> and and a jumper. Not and he was just dressed appropriately. <laughs> yeah, the worst Spider-Man ever oh, for sure. I don't think he'll be in the Spider-Verse uh, anytime soon. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I hope not. I want to be out of that Spider-Verse for sure. Well, there we are. Um, so yeah, Venom Let There Be Carnage is also in cinemas now and it's going to make a lot of money, people. Right, uh, moving on now from a, a nice short 90-minute feature to a big old three-hour blockbuster. Here we go. It's Dune, everybody. Take your Red Bulls with you. It's going to be a long one. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Joe, take it away. Tell us all about Dune. Well, you're not really joking because, you know, it, it is a long film. And again, when I went to see it last night, the lady who sat next to me, because again, full house, 
she brought in a full buffet. You know, she I think she had about like five bags of popcorn. She had like Skittles. She had the full works. And what was wow. what what I fully what I really appreciated was how she offered her two sons. I assume we were with her. You know, every five minutes she just kept leaning over and offering them Skittles. <laughs> like she was so she was so polite and lovely by offering them. But I'm not gonna lie, after about like half an hour in, I thought it felt just like saying, stop it, stop it, just keep it to yourself. Cause every two minutes, like, well, distracting. I tell you, you just wish you would one of those sons, weren't you? You just wish you put you put your hand on a knee and be like, excuse me, love, can I have some of those Skittles? I've been a good boy or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was sat in her seat by accident as well. Oh. Genuine fault. So so we didn't get off to the to a good start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Dune, thank you for leaving me the simplest plot to uh, explain, Dan. So yeah, this is an adaptation of Frank uh, Herbert's novel. And basically, it's a futuristic sci-fi. I can't remember the year exactly, but it's very, very far into the future. And we are on um, Arrakis, which is a desert planet, not like uh, Tatooine. It's, it's, It's even more brutal than Tatooine. And they don't even have the really cool space band playing in the little cantinas. Um, Arrakis uh, is home to uh, giant sandworms and uh, people who are basically being oppressed by an empire who basically come to Arrakis to harvest spice, which holds the key to like space travel and, and everything like that. We meet Paul, played by Timothy Chamolet, who is from the House of Arades or something like that, I want to say. They are approached to go to Dune to basically take control over it for a period to basically sit in and, um, you know, try and bring order to Dune. Um, they go there, but on the meanwhile, there is a sort of political plot, a political agenda to the invite to bring them to Dune. And um, there's a bit of a trap being sent by the Emperor. Here's a clip. Uh, I guess I'm not in the mood today. Mood? Yeah. What's mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Now fight! Come on! I have you. I... But look down, my lord. You're to join me in death. I see you found the mood. So there's a clip there from Dune, and I completely butchered the plot there, but it is very complex. Basically, I'm not familiar with any of the source material. I haven't read the book. I've not watched any of the other films. So I went in completely cold to this, a little bit nervous because I've heard that the source material is very dense and that combined with uh, Denny uh, Villeneuve's sort of style, you know, if for anybody who's seen Blade Runner 2049, they said that film's quite long as well. I thought perhaps that the two combined could make for a real sort of, you know, dialogue heavy, exposition heavy, very dense movie. Actually, I came out the other side and I thought it was very entertaining and if anything probably one of 
uh, Villeneuve's uh, more entertaining films that he's made. It's a 12A, which I was surprised about. I'm not sure if it'll play well to the Snapchat crowd, um, but uh, but I think it will play to a wider audience than maybe some of other Villeneuve's films. Um, I think it will do uh, quite well. It is cinema. And when I say that, obviously, you, you want to watch it on the biggest, loudest screen possible. I think I saw a tweet from a critic the other day saying like the BFI IMAX is like already sold out for like a Friday night or something like that. So clearly people are, you know, wanting to experience it and embrace it on the biggest screen possible. The visual effects are just cool. Like I love the 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 spaceships the shapes and sizes of them i think they're really cool visual effects the cinematography is beautiful and then you've got that sort of uh eardrum busting soundtrack which you would sort of expect from uh, Hans Zimmer you've got a great cast although if you are a fan of Zendaya i would maybe measure your expectations a little bit as to <laughs> if you're a fan of Zendaya wait for the sequel <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're a fan of Zendaya, maybe because, like, literally, when she came on screen, I could see people getting excited, and I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it, and then I was waiting for it, and then it was there, and then it was gone. But on the plus side, we do get to spend uh, a lot more time with Rebecca uh, Ferguson than I thought we would go into. So that's sort of the, the the plus side, swings and roundabouts, I guess. I was just sat there, and my eyes were just glued to the screen, and I thought, this is really impressive in terms of the construction of it. I love the style. I love the sounds. I'm completely sort of immersed in it when the lady next to me isn't, you know, offering his son's popcorn. And I just thought, yeah, great, brilliant. The only things sort of nitpicking, um, it, I did start to feel the length. It is very long. And like we sort of talked about with Halloween Kills, it's really hard in a way to judge the film because I'm not sure if I'm spoiling anything, but this is part one and it sort of doesn't really have an ending. And I think that's fine with something like Fellowship of the Rain because you know you've got the others on the way. Um, but I don't think Dune part two has been announced. So you kind of leave and you're like, I really hope that it does get announced because if it doesn't, then that was sort of a waste of time. So fingers crossed it does really well um, at the box office because I am, you know, very excited to see the conclusion, especially as I have no idea what's going to happen. So I thought it was great, intelligent sort of sci-fi blockbuster. I thought uh, Velnev did a great job of making what supposedly a dense source material quite accessible. I wasn't lost at any point. I think, you know, the average sort of film goer won't be lost at any point. And I, I thought it was a really, really spectacular sci-fi blockbuster. But what did you think, Tom? Because obviously Dan hasn't seen it. So what did you think? Well, I have made one major disagreement with your review, which is that I think the Snapchat generation will really like it because they are all in their 30s. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just won't let it go with you Tom <laughs> <laughs> um, no I agree with pretty much every word you said I saw this I was really fortunate in that I was invited to a press screening of this at the Cineworld IMAX in Leicester Square mm. which is in my view probably the best cinema screen in the country it is beautiful and it was 
it was like you, you said it was cinema and I think I, I completely agree with that like I I have a sort of strange relationship with Villeneuve in that I like a lot of his stuff but I really struggled with Blade Runner which is kind of the yeah. the closest analog to this I suppose in that it's a kind of ponderous effects heavy take on a sort of legacy property but I found this like awesome in the traditional meaning of that word in that it, it really invoked awe while I was watching it it's so beautiful the soundscape is so incredible it's so well well put together and well directed like you said I was never lost and you know I haven't read the book but I have seen the David Lynch version of the film and I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> Whereas in this, I completely followed the plot entirely and I understood the relationships between the characters. And I thought all of that stuff was really well done. I did think it was paced strangely. Mm. It sort of builds to a big action climax where some horrible things happen to some major characters. And then it goes on for another 45 minutes. <laughs> and... <laughs> Because I, I remember when that big thing that I thought was the ending happened, I was like, oh, sweet. This doesn't feel like it's been two and a half hours. I've obviously had a great time. And it just sort of kept going. <laughs> and, and, I, and I kind of struggled with that. Um, yeah. But I thought all of the performances were excellent. I think he's done a really, really good job of wrangling this story into a form which makes it palatable to, to audiences while not sacrificing any of the big high sci-fi grandeur of the thing which is you know the reason to make a dune movie is to put all of that stuff in i I think some of the things are amazing like they have these like planes almost which are like dragonflies whether the wings or like bend around and that stuff is amazing it's so cool and i think you know you can get highfalutin and pretentious about like big grand high sci-fi like this but sometimes it's just cool and that's that's okay. I don't know if Villeneuve would agree with me. I think he'd probably fix he's made, you know, the, the next Citizen Kane or something. Citizen <laughs> Kane with sandworms, probably. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought as a kind of piece of blockbuster entertainment, it was about as good as it's possible for these things to get. And I surprised myself with that because I struggled so much with Blade Runner 2049 and mm. because I'm, you know, not particularly familiar with the source material, and I struggle with, you know, I call it like thringy thrangy sci-fi, where it's all about <laughs> we're on the planet of blingity blong with the race of yes. hoobajibas. And amen, like, amen. I, like there's one, there's one scene in The Hobbit where Martin Freeman <laughs> just passes a series of swords to Hugo Weaving, and he explains the origin of each of the swords. And I'm like, this is like, yeah. like this is from the battle of such and such and it belongs to so-and-so who slayed the army of oh. something and that stuff just is nonsense and means nothing to me <laughs> but you know give me jason momoa sword fighting and, and you know them flying around in these dragonfly things and oscar isaac being madly sexy constantly <laughs> and like give me that stuff because that's what i've come for and if you can smuggle a high sci-fi concept in there which he has done then that's all the better. I was totally surprised by how much I loved this. And, you know, with the slight caveat that I thought it just went on at the end, I I can take that because of how much I enjoyed what came before it. Mm. Oh, Tom, I love you so much. I'm so the same. I always remember Joe and I went to see Mortal Engines. Have you seen that? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Where the cities eat each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one, you know, that's... So I struggled with that one because when when the big city eats the small city... Mm. 
I couldn't work out why the small city people didn't want to be eaten by the big city. Because <laughs> from what it looked like to me, they just then get better housing in the big city. Yeah, totally. So, it's way, way more benefits. I know what you mean. I, I, yeah. I'm sure that in the books, it's really explained why that's a bad yes. thing. Yeah, But not but, in the film. <laughs> but I, I'm totally with you because I remember sitting down there and it was like, 200 years ago in the planet of Zyborg and I just went oh, yes. I can't deal with this I can't deal yeah, with it I, I, it's one of my favourite things about Dan we will go to see a film and the lights will drop and the, the film will start and then it'll be like the magical world of flobbly goggly gog and like yeah. Dan will just look at me and just like roll his eyes like the worst ever one I think was Fantastic Beasts uh the crimes of Grind- Grindelwald <laughs> which is a bad film for like anyway even as somebody who loves Harry Potter I did not like that film so for even for someone like you Dan who just is like over their head mm. i think that must have been one of the worst experiences well that's it like lord of the rings is the worst one so i was like a harry potter kid growing up so harry potter was everything for me so i never i to this day i've only seen fellowship i've not even seen the other lord of the rings films i've seen all three hobbit ones because i was working in the industry yeah. by then terrible yes. um <laughs> but i remember trying to read fellowship of the rings i read the hobbit and quite liked it oh and then yeah. I started trying to read Fellowship of the Ring and it's like a 100 page prologue about the history of the re- of Middle Earth. Like, I don't yeah. care. Like maybe if you told, tried to tell me all of that halfway through when I cared about the characters, maybe. But I don't care about this stuff yet. It's just it's like a history textbook for a history that never happened. I don't need it. That totally. is a tough book to read for sure. I, I, yeah. I struggled through that one. Totally. Oh, I love it. I love it. Right. Well, uh, Dune is also in cinemas now. And uh, yeah, bring the popcorn, bring the kids, you know, just have fun, drink, <laughs> drink lots of energy drinks and we'll get through it, everybody. Yeah. Right, now it's time for my favourite part of the show. Joe loves this section. I know he does. Um, It's our usual segment called Two Truths and a Lie. Tom, we're going to give you three facts. Each fact is about each of the films that we've spoken about um, on today's show. So one on Halloween Kills, one on Venom and one on Dune. Two are true and one is a lie. And you've just got to guess which one is the lie. Are you ready, Tom? As ready as I'll ever be. Here we go. He's ready. He's ready. Okay, so I'm going to read all three facts and then I'll give you time to decide. So fact one, and this is a Venom one for you now. We're starting off on a, on a positive note. Venom Let There Be Carnage is the shortest superhero film to be released in cinemas since 2007's Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. What a banger that was, eh? Oh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm serious. So um, that's your first fact. Second fact, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends were filmed back-to-back with only a day's break in between them. And fact three, composer Hans Zimmer was such a big fan of the novel Dune, he turned down working with Christopher Nolan so that he could score Dune. Okay, so those are your three facts. Which is the lie? Is it fact one, that Venom Let There Be Carnage is the shortest superhero film since Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? Fact two, Halloween Kills and Halloween's Ends were shot back to back. Or fact three, that Hans Zimmer said no, no to Nolan and uh, chose Dune. Which do you think is the lie, Tom? 
Well, I think the Zimmer one is true because I think that's why Ludwig Garanson did Tenet. I think that's true. Um, I think I think the Venom one's probably true. I think the Halloween one is the lie. I think they were planning to film them back to back, but I don't think they did in the end because the delay changed things. So I think the Halloween one is the lie. Well, blimmin' heck, we've had a lot of guests on this show. And I think, Tom, you've just taken the prize for solving it the quickest. Well done. You are correct. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> this guy's been practicing. He's, he's, he's seen the answers. He's been, he's, he's been sneaking through my teacher drawer and he's taken it out. He's been like, right, I'm going to get him. You, you were trying to trick him. You were definitely trying to catch him out with a Halloween one, though, weren't you? Because you totally. were thinking, you know, the same with like other sequels, like The Matrix and Back to the Future, mm. shoot them back to back. Yeah, because they were they were announced as back to back, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. and I think they said at one point that they were going to they couldn't quite crack Halloween ends or something. And so they decided to see what happened with Halloween kills first. Mm. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, 10 out of 10. Well done, Tom. A star from the teacher. Um, brilliant. That's all we've got time for. On Love that. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a few years since I got an A star. I'll take it. <laughs> oh, hush, hush. <laughs> um, uh, again, thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. That's all we've got time for on today's show. Before you go, though, Tom, um, would you like to promote yourself on social media? Where can people find you online? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, Tom J. Beasley. Um, I always say I'm not like other people. I have absolutely no qualms promoting my own work. Um, so if you follow that Twitter feed, you'll see everything I do, including my incredibly niche podcast about the BBC classroom series, Waterloo Road. I always sort of apologize when I promote that on podcasts, but now I don't feel like I have to because the BBC is bringing it back. So oh, do, do not apologize. I adore <laughs> Waterloo Road. I adore it. So please don't apologize. It's incredible. I started it as a lockdown project with my friend. I said, let's do a podcast about Waterloo Road. He said, no one cares about that show. I said, you're probably <laughs> right, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> and here we are a year later with the BBC bringing it back. So I'm choosing to believe we made it happen. It's, it's, it's destiny. It's fate. Definitely. Oh, brilliant. Well, I love Waterloo Road growing up. I mean, I always I always wanted my school to be like Waterloo Road. And I thought, actually, no, probably not. I mean, teachers die, <laughs> die every year in that show. It's like there's dead bodies everywhere. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> they do. They're falling off roofs. They're getting, you know, stabbed in the playground. There's all sorts going on. But yes, so the podcast is called, um, I should probably say what it's called. It's called Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. It's on all of the podcasty things, Apple, Spotify, all of that sort of jazz. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. You're welcome to come back anytime and bring your Waterloo Road pals with you as well. We'll have a little Waterloo Road special. Um, Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. Thank you so much, Joe. Been a pleasure as always. Feel, feel better. I will be. Well, as soon as we finish this, I've got a master bedroom to paint. So uh, wish me luck. Hi, <laughs> caramba. It's getting hot in the bedroom. I love it. <laughs> right. Easy. Easy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. It's, it's, after, it's after my teaching hours. I get all worked up. Uh, <laughs> um, right. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook under the Dan and Joe Film Show. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Film Show. Uh, and also you can catch up with all our old episodes on Mixcloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast, everywhere, basically. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.